This is the Black Country Blokes Tune of Facts about everything that is mental health. Now, we're not experts, but we are experienced, so we're encouraging you to share your experience because every experience is worth sharing. So please be part of the conversation. Listen, listen, listen. I've been yeah. This is the Black Country Blokes Tune of Facts about everything that is mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon. And unfortunately, we haven't got more partner in crime today, Lee Cadman. He's off uh, being poorly, so we've exchanged him some uh, younger, prettier models, haven't we, girls? <laughs> Hello. We've got Mez and Meg, who are going to be producing for me. And we are blessed today to have Rob and Lorna from Headway. So, to the both of you, thank you ever so much for coming on. And what we're going to do, before we get into Rob's story and the organisation of Headway, we're going to start, as we always do, what we're grateful for. And as I always say, it's something that's overlooked in life. Um, we think like it has to be this massive epiphany of, oh, I won the lottery. Or Every day that we wake up and we take a breath, we're alive. And, you know, how many of our brothers, our sisters, our loved ones we've lost along the way who haven't got that luxury? So me, what am I grateful for? I'm actually feeling a bit better. I've had three weeks of feeling blooming vile. No Rona, you know, <laughs> reminding ourselves that there were viruses before the coronavirus, but just feeling... You know, nasty when you're achy, tired, mind fog, but touch wood I'm on the other side of it. And as I said earlier, when we're well, we don't appreciate being well. It's only when we're poorly that we think blooming it'll be nice to feel nice. Mass, how about you? What what are you grateful for this week? This is gonna be very strange. I'm not gonna lie to you. But have you ever heard of gusto boxes? <laughs> I think I have. They're like a subscription that you can get. Um, But because I work a nine-to-five job, coming home, I can be very tired. And the commute, I've got a 40-minute drive. Uh, Now, I know I sound like I'm complaining. But (laughs) being able to come home and just whack a bit of food together in like Mm. 15 minutes, it's a luxury that I know not everyone has. So I'm very grateful for the ability to be able to cook that food in a quick amount of time. Isn't it? I mean convenience and i think all of us been on the hamster wheel of life mm. and i think we all promise ourselves when we're all in lockdown you know what when you go back to normal i'm not gonna sweat the small stuff it's like we're on holiday we're there we're lying on the sun lounger i'm not gonna get angry i'm gonna be more chilled by the time you got out the airport you're back to your old self mm. and i think sometimes we just gotta take that deep breath and go you know what Let's not sm- let's not sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Let's enjoy the small wins. Lorna, how about you? What are you grateful for? Um, I'm really grateful for my pets, and uh, they really help my mental health. I've got two cats who spend all their life sleeping, <laughs> uh, and that really chills me out because I'll go upstairs, sit in the sunshine with them, and then I've got two dogs who are full of life. So if I want to get out of the house, I can just put their leads on and go. And we all know the real good combination of nature and mental health mm-hmm. and going outside, chucking a ball, chasing after them. It's a lot of fun. So I'm really grateful I've got more pets. My mate said to me, because I love quotes, I love talking to people, and he said, he goes, you know, Kev, you should treat yourself like your pet. And what do you mean? He goes, you know when your cat's poorly? My cat's very annoying, by the way. Lovely cat, but very annoying. <laughs> Silla, Silla Black. And... Um, so treat yourself like your pet. When she's poorly, you take her to the vets. When she's hungry, you feed her. When she needs love, you give her love. I went, yeah, that's what you do. Because but how many times you do that for yourself? Mm-hmm. When you're poorly, you put it off. When you're hungry, you go without breakfast, dinner, you eat on the go. 
And maybe we should treat ourselves not even like our children, like our pets. Give ourselves that self-love. It's so easy to throw around, but it's so blooming hard to do, isn't it? Absolutely, you're right there. And so what, if you're poorly, you go to the vets. Well, well, <laughs> I have to go there for a good fleeing. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Rob? What uh, What are you grateful for, bruv? Well, I was going to say I was grateful that I got up today, but I'm actually grateful that somebody invites me out to this or get out of the house. Yeah, and it is, isn't it? I mean, thank you. I'm so grateful for having all you wonderful four people here. But sometimes it's nice to have... You're mad. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be called worse, but... uh, (laughs) And Meg, how about you? What are you um, What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've been given in life. And I think, this is what I say to my boxers, Lions ABC, opportunities pop up all the time, but it's having the courage to accept the opportunities, whether it's a night out, a job interview. And I think so many of us have put off the idea of opportunities in case we fail at them, but there's no problem in failing. And I say this to the babies at the club and my blows. Failing's not a problem. Failing doesn't make you a failure. You've just found out another way. Whether you like it, you're no good at it, and I'm no good at blooming most things. But it's having the courage to accept those opportunities, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And how are you finding uh, this um, being on the radio? I absolutely love it. Uh, so I'll try and come here when I can, as much as I can, and hopefully I'll get a nice job out of it at the end of it. But <laughs> I say, this opportunity has just been amazing, and... For anyone who does get an opportunity, just to take it, go for it, and don't give up. Yeah, bang on. Wait, this is a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fun I, one. I, I, can't, I can't wait to start getting paid uh, for talking instead of getting punched in the head all day. <laughs> <laughs> but Rob, those first two songs, we had Bob Marley and Run DMC. How come you picked those two songs? <sighs> okay, now you're making me think... <laughs> I don't do thinking it hurts. You can hear the cogs clicking. <laughs> yeah, you can. But no, um, Bob Marley's always been an influence to me since I was little because my dad played the, the cassette of Legend in the car lots and I just learned all the songs off that. And at Headway, one of the sessions I do is music. And before all the lockdowns, I was learning to play the intro on the guitar. But I can't remember how to spend that long and no practice. So, and the other song is a song I dedicated to my friend Claire. Because when I came out of hospital, I met Claire for the first time in a long time. I'd forgot she was even my friend. <laughs> but Lee wishes he'd forget all his friend. <laughs> well, I'm sure he can do it. It's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, she was training to be a physio. And because of where my problems put me, I'm now in a wheelchair and she would help me with some physio now and again. And, well, basically, 
I was listening to the radio one day and I realised she told me to walk this way. So I dedicate something to her. And it's nice, it's great. I always think we're braver when we've got someone to hold our hand. Mm-hmm. Whether we're going for injections or waiting for bad news or good news. We're always braver if we're lucky enough to have someone there with us. Mm-hmm. But something that you were uh, touched on, um, like being in your dad's car listening to music, how many of us have got them their memories of being in our parents' car or in the living room on the record player? And that song we were talking about off air, wasn't me, about Frank Sinatra and yeah. your dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And it transports you. I mean, I always think of Santana, Black Magic Woman from my dad, or Beautiful South from my mum. And you hear it and you go, blummy neck, yeah. And you're back there. Yeah. And I said, we were having a laugh off air, saying, like, how many great songs have been ruined by funerals? <laughs> uh, simply the best by Tina Turner. Every, every funeral I seem to go to, that's played. <laughs> I'm thinking, blow my neck. And it, but it's um, music so powerful. Uh, we can. I find this when I'm going to my depression. Uh, and because I've been on my journey for so long with um, suffering depression and anxiety and these things, but I start becoming aware of it. So I know, because I've always got songs playing around in my head, and I'm aware if that song's reminding me of a sad place. So I change the record, and I, I purposely change it to a happier song. At the moment, it's rudimental, uh, not giving in. Mm-hmm. But I stop it. I, it's like a record player stopping it and going, stop. I'm aware of it. I'm going back into that dark room. So let's change the record and put something on positive. But that's part of your journey, isn't it? Knowing those triggers that make you... Happy, sad, anxious, mad. Do you find that, Lorna? Oh, absolutely. Um, and you're right. You're driving along and something comes on the radio and it can almost change your mood, mm. like, a, like a trigger, like a switch. Um, and I, I actually have three different radio stations programmed on my radio in the car. So I, I hope one's Black Country another. Extra. Of course, <laughs> of course. I'm beginning to understand the accent a little more as well, which is quite nice. <laughs> but you do, sometimes it's just like, no, I can't listen to that today. And also I have a terrible habit of singing, so I'm driving along and the dogs have got their paws over their ears as I'm singing along. And again, that sort of lifts your mood if it's the right music. Is there an accent? Is there an accent in the Black Country? It's everyone else who does speak proper. <laughs> yeah, you of course speak proper. <laughs> <laughs> but we're actually one of the oldest dialects in the country. Mm. Yes, I love you now. Yeah, I think they say that the, the black country accent is the closest to what an old English accent used to be compared to all the other accents across the UK. I believe Elizabethan. Um, is it? I believe so. Wow. Do you mean Elizabeth I spoke like you lot? Well, <laughs> <laughs> speak as bosh as me. <laughs> Excuse me, it's you lot. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Rob. Too shy. <laughs> but what we're going to do, we're going to go to a few songs, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Headway, and Rob's going to be sharing some of his stories, so please stick with us. And now for something completely different. <laughs> um, so, Rob... Uh, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why did you put us through that, Rob? Because I can. <laughs> no, um, the first song, which I'll be talking a bit about later, was Fridges Down, and that was on my list of songs. The second one was a little bonus track for you, and it was the Ying Tong song by the Goons. 
for people who are younger than me and so therefore do not know music going back to long before I was born. The Goons was a satirical radio show back in the 50s with Spike Milligan who was the godfather of authentic comedy and just someone I really look up to and in fact when I was at school they didn't simply and said if you could be on if you one of the stars you could have any one person there who would you want? Everyone else was sort of saying the lightest celebrities that they fancied. They got to me and went spike me down at least I can know I had something to laugh about. <laughs> so that's just why I slipped that one in. <laughs> so, I mean, we're going to go now talk about Headway. And um, so, Lord, can you just uh, give us a bit of a, a rundown what Headways is, please? Yeah, so just to give you the wider picture, there's Headway UK, which is a national charity. And if you have a brain injury uh, and you're looking for advice and support, that's a good place to start because they do loads of research. It's got lots of information, but they don't deliver anything on the ground. Locally, there's lots of small patchworks of, of headways right across the country. And we're the guys that do the work on the ground and support people locally. So we're um, headway black country. And we have a plethora of different support mechanisms. From the minute someone goes into hospital with a brain injury, we've got an outreach team who can go in and talk to them, their relatives, the carers, and really advise them on signposting to different support. Um, we have counselling, we have therapy, and then we have um, three different centres across the black country where you can go along for different sessions to help you rewire your brain. Just to put it into perspective, um, Kev, you, you can't, your brain doesn't mend itself. Mm. So if you imagine you cut your skin, the skin will rebuild itself. The brain doesn't work like that. You have to retrain it like you do with positive thoughts. Mm. Um, so that's what we do in Headway. We help people retrain their brains um, to get them the quality of life back as much as we can. And the brain is such a remarkable organ, isn't it? There's so much of it we still don't understand now, is it? Absolutely, and that's part of the problem. And every single injury is completely um, different because it depends where the injury is and how deep the injury is as to what the damage is. And one part of the brain will do this bit and one part of the brain perhaps is your speech, one part of the brain is your mobility. So you might damage your mobility but your speech is fine and vice versa. So it's teaching the brain to work slightly differently as much as you can to help people uh, not recover. That's perhaps false hope but at least have some quality of life as much as we can support people to do. And I think what we've talked about before is um, add individual who's had an injury or got poorly through whatever means but it's supporting the loved ones around them isn't it yes excuse me yeah so we don't just support those people who have a brain injury it's their uh, family and carers as well um it's like a ripple in a pond mm. it's a huge effect um I, i'll give you a case i'm sure he won't mind is that we were supporting a, a man whose daughter had a stroke she was 31 oh. And she was a teacher and she had a baby under the age of one. 
Um, so suddenly she had a mortgage to pay and couldn't go to work. She had a baby to look after, couldn't do that. Um, so straight away, the outreach team were in hospital supporting dad with lots of different ideas, etc. Um, and also helping him and his daughter get benefits so that they could keep the house, pay the mortgage, etc. while she begins her, her rehab and, and recovery as best she can. And he's actually volunteered to to a sponsored parachute jump for us because he's so grateful for the information that we've given. So that just shows you the sort of depth of knowledge our outreach team have, which is great. Because you know you're saying about benefits, and we, I've talked to many people on this show, you will have life-changing news. You go in and you, you've had a stroke, you've had a brain injury, you've lost your eyesight, you've, and the doctor goes, boom, they hit you with this body shot. Mm. And that, that, that news, your life will never be the same. That's all right then, tomorrow our bit, deal with it. Mm. A lot of times, it, this is why it's so brilliant having an organisation like yourselves, but often the GP or the specialist doesn't pass your number onto them. They have to find these people like you, and this is why we try and get organisations like yourself. Because when you're in that dark room of depression or your world's been turned upside down, mm. you don't know which way is up. And just having someone to go like, I'll help you fill out your benefits. Because yeah. when you're filling out your benefits, you feel like the biggest charlatan going, you feel like a crook, and you're going... I'm not making up being blind. I'm, I'm not a scammer. I haven't, and it's so you you, you feel terrible filling mm. out the forms, and they they badger you and it's refused. And but by having organisations like yourself to mm. make an already very difficult situation that little bit easier mm. and manageable, and giving you tools to make your life some kind of what it was normal yeah. is remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. We we do have a specialist. Uh, on our team who deals specifically with benefits and a lot of the work she actually does is when a benefit's turned down she'll go through the appeals process with someone mm. because you know what you can do on a good day mm. doesn't compare to what you can't can, can't do mm. on, a, on a poor day so you're saying oh yes I can for instance pick up a box yes but actually that's only today because I'm feeling extra special most of the time I wouldn't go anywhere near that box mm. uh, and it's when you're not used to the benefit system, as you say, Kev, it's, it's, sometimes you just don't want to appreciate and you also don't want to admit to yourself exactly. how bad you've actually become. And, and a lot of times you go like, well, how many times do you bump into something? Well, it's not that bad. Or, well, can you make a cup of coffee? Well, I could str- but you don't say, I could struggle. But you go, yeah, yeah, I suppose I could. Mm. But it's, they're not after that. Mm. And it, it, it's not food in the system, it, but it's laying it on in the truest form, not being proud, not thinking, well, I probably, it's, and for, when people feel like they've, they've already lost so much and then you're asking to take away their, their pride, mm. let's call it that, it's very hard for people, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're very lucky in Headway that we've got people like Rob who'll come out and talk mm. and one of our um, PR support clients is an ex-police officer and he'll talk about what he's lost mm. since his head injury because that was his identity, that mm. was his job, that was his whole way of being. And also, it's a bit like being in a club. I'm an ex-copper myself, so I know how that feels because mm. it's the weird thing about shift work is you work and play with the same people because there's no one else who wants to get drunk on a Monday night. So, <laughs> you know, you go out with your, your, your work colleagues and he's lost all of that. Mm. And his story is quite heartbreaking when you hear about the impact his brain injuries had. 
Not that we encourage drinking. Thank you. Don't drink, kids. Sorry, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, no, no. But it's so right. And on a lesser scale, if we look at the coronavirus with lockdown, Mm. once people lost their identity, what are you? I'm a bricklayer. Mm. I'm a boxing coach. Mm. And when I am just Kev, because when we we go to a pub now, I've been your bro. What 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 do you do? Oh, I'm I'm a chippy. I'm a, I'm a plaster, I'm a teacher, I'm a copper. You don't go, are you a kind person? Are you a nice, good mm-hmm. person? You generally, mm-hmm. it's your first thing is name and job title. But when the job title is taken away from you, well, who am I? Yeah. And I saw, I'm sure men and women did, but I saw it as a man with myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a coach. I, I went from seeing 100 people every day to seeing my wife and my daughter. I went from being a head coach at the boxing club to being a daddy. And daddy's the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. But it was that kind of job when I was doing 24-7 and I lost who Kev was. Mm -hmm. And when somebody's taken away from you by no accord, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because then you've got to re-evaluate what am I, who am I? And just because I'm no longer this job, am I still me? Mm -hmm. Just because I talk differently or I communicate differently, am I still Kevin Dillon? Yes. And that's a hard pill to swallow for anyone, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. I'm not Kevin Dillon. <laughs> There's only one Kevin I'll Dillon. Work this out. <laughs> no, um, when coronavirus hit, before that, one of my outlets was I would go into Mary Hill every about twice a week, and I just made friends with some of the people in the shops who worked there, and I talked to them. There's one who are called pudding, because I can't give people their puddings, I'd never remember them. Mm. But, because I then got her Facebook contact, she, after we went into lockdown, she realised that I was the person who was coping best with it, because it wasn't, that bigger change for me it was just staying at home which was something I had to do anyway so that's a good point that's really profound yeah yeah because some people when it's um when everything changes but when uh, you've already had a major change in your life you're used to that and I heard something similar with her drug addiction and uh, addictions they were used to having to change everything to suit a new life. Mm. Whereas people who had it, let's not call it easy because nothing's easy. We've lived in a 10 bedroom mansion. We've always got something to moan about. But when you have got what you perceive to be a normal day to day life and there is a major upset, so to some people, that may have been the only upset they'd ever had. Mm-hmm. And because they hadn't had uh, anything to prepare them for a big change, it really sent them for six. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Rob? I would. I mean, there was a lot of people I saw after lockdown ended and they were really... Towards the end, they were sort of, I want to be let out of lockdown. Let lockdown's got to end. This is just too much. And to me, I was just, this is Wednesday. But, and what was nice actually first day, but I lose track. Now I am 
what you were saying earlier about benefits and benefit fraud and stuff like that. I get accused of that by random people all the time because part of, well, my disability is all in my balance. I can still use all of my limbs and them. What I tend to do is walk my wheelchair. I tend to sit and just use my feet to move it. And one day I was in Dudley and I was getting some chi kind of chips from a chippy and I thought I'll just eat these on the way to the bus stop. So I was using my hands to eat, my feet to walk the chair and just heard this, I don't know in the health they were, but I just heard benefit fraud. And I thought, no, I just have a different disability mm. to what you think I do. Well, we had um, we had an experience of something similar to that. It, it, it's a self-righteousness of people, isn't it? And it, we, <laughs> why have I got to justify it to you? But we went to the safari park, and I've overturned this now. But we went, I'm rich being blind, I'm completely blind in my left eye, and I have less than 10% vision in my oh. right eye for environment and joyters. Uh, but as you see, me, we're in a boxing club, fully focused and, you know, get about. We went to see Father Christmas at the safari park. My wife, my baby in the back. And um, I got a, a card saying I'm rescue employed. And the woman behind there was going, but you don't look disabled. I went, I'm, I'm ever so sorry. I didn't realise you're a specialist in this. You know, I've only come to see Father Christmas, not an MOT. And she was really, and then we had to get the manager out and we're having this right. And I'm thinking, I've, you've ruined the day for me now. Mm -hmm. Because it's upsetting my daughter because she wants to see Father Christmas. You've got a cute people. And I'm thinking, why have you made such a big mm. embarrassment? This is why we're going to talk later about invisible disabilities. Mm. I've known people who are wearing claustrophobic bags and they've got Crohn's disease and whatever, and we've been out to the pub and they've gone to the disabled toilet. And people will go, Oi, that's for disabled people. You don't have to say, Excuse me, I've got a bag on. Mm. You know, you're thinking, Why should someone be embarrassed by going to the toilet? Don't get me wrong, if it was Lee and he's got Caller in the wheelchair, and then you go, Excuse me, oh, this is for my daughter, excuse me, can I have a quiet word, I've. But it's just people it doesn't affect anyway. Mm. Making a scene and being vile. Mm. And who's got the right to make someone feel vile? Mm. Does it affect you? No. And if it does, then treat me with the same courtesy as you would expect yourself. Mm. If you're going to say something, come over and have a word with me. Don't try and embarrass me in front of um, a, a room full of people. Because no matter who you are, whether you're built like Anthony Joshua or Danny DeVito, no one likes to be embarrassed. So treat people with respect. Mm. What other things do we do at Headway, um, uh, Lorna? Oh, sorry, Rob, do you want to say something? I just wanted to say, don't try to embarrass him. That's my job, embarrassing people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I suppose so, um, the main thing that we do, as I said earlier, is this, the rehabilitation. And that can take any form depending on the individual. So every person is assessed by an occupational therapist and we put together a proper a plan for them. And they do, uh, everyone works in groups, but that's peer support. But within that group, they're working towards their own goals for rehabilitation. So that could be something like maths, English. We do a lot of art and a lot of music, as Rob said before, and that's just getting the brain to function in different ways. 
in my case, music is badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're actually we've got choir. They're really, they're really good. And we do a lot of creative art as well. It's not just painting. They've, they've just finished a really good uh, little um, piece of video with creative toys I made out Stop of plasticine. Stop motion. Thank you. I knew you'd come in and help. Huh? <laughs> and so it's about um, take, taking people out to the cafe to order a sandwich. They might not have been out for a cafe, especially for two years, yeah. the last two years, um, or cooking as well. So it's all those sort of rehab skills um, that people have. We do do one-on-one -on -one work as well. Um, so if people particularly want some support out in the community, we've got a couple of guys who use the gym, so we go down the gym with them. And uh, we've actually just applied for some funding through Sports England to do some mobility work, so some chair exercises and to do a walking group as well. The difficulty is, as I say, you've got that spectrum of people who are back to work and all intents and purposes appear normal, right the way through to people who are severely physically and or mentally disabled. So it's just how do we um, support them in the way that they need and we do that our best to provide what they need. And when you think of brain injury, I mean, it's such a, as we said earlier, the brain's such a mm. wonderful and complex thing. But it can be from head trauma to dementia, strokes. Um, it, it, it's massive, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And is it from all ages or is it just for adults? Uh, we support uh, people 18 plus. There's a brilliant partner charity called CBIT, which is the Children's Brain Injury Trust. Mm. Um, so they support anybody who's had a brain injury since birth to 17. We don't work with anyone who was born with a brain injury. That's a completely different specialisation. Uh, so with ourselves, you, may, you might have had a brain injury when you were seven, but when you become an adult, then you're supported by Headway. Um, so that's the sort of support we offer. Headway's APIs acquired brain injuries. It is. But we haven't worked out if I acquired the brain or the injury. <laughs> it was there somewhere it was just really well hidden wasn't it <laughs> yeah. I remember we had a box of Rob Rolls he was a great lad tough as nails proper tough lad and when he was 21 he got diagnosed with a brain tumour not through boxing just mm. one of those things and they give him three months to live and he battled 10 years um, wow. with it and he, uh, his life began then his life began when he had his tumour really when travelling he came to my wedding over in Thailand uh, went to his best mate, Quinton American, and passed away in 2014. 2014, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And we got a memorial at the, the boxing club of him. And uh, and I remember how sad it was. And he, and he was a strapping lad, six foot muscles mm -hmm. and mad rob, strong as a bull. And he battled, battled. And, but I remember when he would have his, his seizures. And um, and I remember when he started traveling, I said, um, he doing the right thing, Rob, because Kev, I could drop dead any moment mm. so I could do it on, I could do it here I could do it on the plane or I could do it over there I'm going to live and you know God bless him that's what he did mm. and what a legend he was yeah. but how about we go to a couple of songs and then when we come back we're going to be talking about Rob's story so mm. please stick with us I've been here just the Black Country Blokes on Black Country Extra and we're joined by Rob and Lorna from Headway so Rob first of all how come those two songs which two songs that do just? We did Lincoln Park Rolling, and what was the other one? Uh, so it was oh. Limp Biscuit and Evanescence. Evanescence. Oh yeah, so I'd forgot that it was Evanescence before that, but 
Evanescence as she goes back to before I was had my IVI and back to when I was in school and I just actually after watching the movie Dead Devil I fell in love with Amy Lee's voice mm. and I bought the Fallen album listened to it and when I was younger because like they said, one of the sessions at Headway, one of the ones I do is art, and I liked art, and I wanted to be a comic book artist. So I was trying to come up with my own superhero sort of story, and that particular song, although it is a bit of a downer, it always brought hope to me, because I imagined it as being my superhero nearly passing and being revived by the tears of the woman who was saving and moving to the next stage. So it was sort of a hope to me instead of a, it was a holding on then getting back up. But that was why I picked that one. And the one after that was Limp Biscuit Rolling which is, for all intents and purposes, it's my entry music. So it's like wrestlers have. When they're going down in the ring, I will enter the building to that so people know who's coming in. Lovely. I, I <laughs> was saying, uh, music, and what you were saying about that, that superhero, falling, but just having the strength to hang on, it's a superhero in itself, isn't he? And I say that to um, people who are in my circles who have tried to complete suicide. Or, and I say uh, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And no matter what you've been through, we've survived it. If you're here today, no matter what you've been through, you've survived it. So keep that strength and in that self. That's a superpower. That is sort of how I see my life. People will say, did you have a good time with this? I usually just look at it and go, I survived. If I survive, it's good. And luckily, it's never been bad. So. So, Rob, do you want to tell us then um, how how um, how you got involved with Headway, please? I got bored at home and decided to go and do something. No, um. When I was younger, I was very... But I wasn't one of these active jocks. I was very much a, a thinker and think but I was also had a quite active life because I've been in skirting since I was six and still there now. In fact, because after I came out of hospital, I went back they gave me my stubborn award. I've got to give that to my wife. <laughs> well, they call it meritorious conduct, but I call it stubborn, because I just turned up because I wasn't going to stop. But when I was 14, I did a sponsored charity walk for them. That's called the Canic Chase Walk. And it's 40 miles in a day, and it's just... You have to be mad to do it. <laughs> I didn't finish the first year. 
I was actually pulled at 38 miles by the person in charge of our group because we had two sets of rules. We had the events rules and his. If he said you weren't carrying on, you weren't carrying on. So I got pulled. But the year after that, I went on to finish it and did it again the next two years after that. I'm not entirely sure how many times I did finish because my brain drew just takes my memories from me. But, so yeah, that was part of my active life. I also, when I was 12, I started canoeing, open boat, and we always went to the same place in South West Wales, Heritage Canoes. Me and my dad, we started canoeing, and my dad got to know the guy who owned it, and a few years later, I was just finishing high school, it was Whitson, and I turned and said, have you got a job this summer? So I ended up working on the canoes. And I did that every year till I was 21. And then on my last year, I told them I was retiring. I've stuck to that because I haven't worked since. <laughs> but I, w I was in uni and in my third year of uni, halfway through, I just started feeling ill. I was... It affected me in the way that if I was standing up or if I was upright, I'd start to feel sick. I'd end up throwing up and so I spent about two weeks lying down waiting to get an appointment for the doctors. Got to the doctors, sat up waiting in the waiting room, got called through. I then went and threw up all over the doctor and he called me an ambulance. Which I thought was a bit cheeky because I didn't even look at anything like an ambulance. Mm -hmm. I didn't have wheels then or anything. But then I spent nine months in hospital, and they didn't know what it actually was. It was put down in the end as being a, a virus that appeared like encephalitis with acute demoralization. So now we got all the big fancy words that just basically means the nerves in my brain, if they were like a wire, the myelin is the plastic coating and demyelization, exactly what's in the tin. The myelin was stripped off and I was getting cross circuits. So in the end, they treated me for that and After nine months, I came out. I'd lost quite a bit of my... I am trying my best to sound clear now and hope I am. You're doing brilliant, honestly. But I lost quite a bit of how I could use my voice. I used to love doing impressions and just silly voices, and I can't do as many now. 
but there was a time when I was in hospital where the only time my dad could understand me was if I was talking like this and going, Hmm, can't tell you or not, but one day you'll be better. So I could only understand me if I was doing yoga, mm. which isn't that good because I can't do that all the time. I knew it was yoga, so. though. <laughs> yeah, but my first I get sorry if I did it just to talk to you. Mm. And that was the only way you could communicate? Was that a stronger no. voice than a voice when you were in hospital? I have this problem that still arises now. I'm talking slowly as I'm doing this because I want my voice to be clear. But the more I'm enjoying myself normally, I am enjoying myself now, don't get me wrong. But the more I'm enjoying myself normally, the quicker I speak mm. and the more slurred my voice becomes. Because... When you do Yoda's voice, you're slowing it right down. Mm. It became easier for me to just understand what I was saying. Mm. But, yeah, so nine months in hospital. And came out, did so many times time in rehab. And I went back to uni. Finished my degree, I turned a three-year course into a six-year, and now I have a Desmond, a two-two. That's a great achievement. <laughs> but after that, because I wasn't going to be able to do the job I was looking at doing, because I was looking at being a primary school teacher, I couldn't control a class of 30 kids, mm. not all day. I have to control 20-odd beer scouts, but that's only for an hour a week. But all day, 30 kids, I would not cope, and I just wouldn't do it. And they sort of also said that I was suitable for many jobs, so I am officially now, I am a professional liopart. <laughs> I get paid benefits because I can't do the jobs or not. To a satisfactory rate and things like that. But I found out about Headway through the rehabilitation at the hospital and well, my parents did most of it. I, I don't tend to do much of the... Um, I can't think of the word. The side of things with the paperwork and... Uh, I don't tend to do much of that. So my parents are left. And now I do two sessions a week. No, I do three sessions a week. Do two on a Tuesday in the morning I do art and in the afternoon I do music and on a Friday I do the social group so going in and naturally being part of the world again and how's that is it nice being in a, a group setting with people who've got similar or to the same it's very good I mean over time because I've been there now for so long, 
Karimba. I got my infection in 2007 and so after I got my qualification in 2010 I was just doing headway and you see so many different people go through and I mean one of my best friends there he no longer is there because he works at a, he goes sorry to a different headway in a different part of the country now because he's had to move for um, personal reasons but you put me in him in a room and it was just pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it's nice just to be able to make friends and know that they've had to go through similar to what I have because everyone is different. And I mean, I'd say my friend Malcolm, his disability was much more severe but he always had a smile which I liked so I think once you've been through the mill you haven't exactly got to walk the same miles as someone but if you've been through pain and uncomfort you can you can empathize better with someone because you're thinking oh, I'm not in the same boat as you but I've been there and this was how I coped and I think that gives you a greater understanding for one another doesn't it it does, and I just, whenever we get a new person ahead right now, I try to always make sure I say hello and try and get to know them and make them comfortable because I remember being the new person and thinking, what? Mm. Although I had a help when I first got there because someone who been in hospital with me was also in the group it was Ken and I called Ken my brother in arms so I got to spend time with Ken when I was there and that helped me to get comfortable quicker and I'm starting to babble <laughs> don't let me babble nah don't be soft uh, that's a very black country saying in itself, Toby Saft. But, um, so your your condition, if, if I get this right, it was an infection that attacked, like, the plastic on the wire. Is that right? Yeah, the, the nerves in the brain, if there were wires, it would be the myelin, the plastic coating, and it, well, the way that it affected me that caused my brain injury is that. And it's left me with no balance. So while I can get up and walk, if I take more than about three steps, I'm going to fall over. Mm. And I don't like that. Because, I mean, the canoeing, a lot of it was balance. Mm. So I can't do that anymore. And, but I get by because I just... Trying to stay positive and mm. just go through life. I think that really comes through in your story as well. I mean, going from, like you're saying, you're very active, you like to do things like archery and, you know, being able to do your canoeing to then 
going to university and have this happen but then even after you went to the hospital and you came out it does seem like you've always had quite a positive mindset I mean do you have any any tips or how do you keep so positive having all of this happen I've always said I act insane to keep myself sane and so far it seems to be working I just try and not take anything too seriously because when I was in hospital I was sort of second I started taking something seriously I'd have a long face and I just I didn't like that so I'd start being silly and as long as I don't need to be serious silliness is the way I will go if I need to be serious I will and I hope that I do still come across to people when I am serious as being I always say I'm not clever but people always say don't say that you are and look at acting insane to keep yourself sane no I said me instead of my um but I sort of try and be silly because silly is safe not being serious, I have to worry about things. And I think we've all got coping mechanisms as well, isn't it? It's like masks that we wear, not one of them that we have to wear around the supermarket. We've all got used to wearing. And I think anyone who's has suffered oh, you with, I don't have to wear this mask. <laughs> but I think we've uh, anyone who's got a mental um, mental health problems, or we get very good at hiding stuff, don't we? Mm. And often we'll hide it with uh, addiction, humour, aggression. We find some way of masking our true self sometimes. And would you say you use humour as that mask or is it? The other mask I use, which I've used since I was in primary school, is I insult myself. Mm. People say, don't say that about yourself, but it's been a defence mechanism for years if I say all the insults before the body can yes. they're left there going uh, um, I, uh, so I'm just nice and happy not being insulted by other people Would you take the venom out of it don't you if I'm willing to say it first then yeah. I've beat the bully to the punch that's always been my defence mechanism but People now, especially since I had the ABI, when they see me in the wheelchair insulting myself, they go, oh, don't say that. No, I'm trying to say it in the silliest way possible. Like I tell people, I have to go everywhere twice. The second time to apologise. And... <laughs> I just think I'm being serious. Don't say that. But by saying that, I'm keeping myself from being grumpy. So I'm... Because they said I was grumpy when I was in hospital, which isn't fair. Because if I was going to be one of the seven dwarfs, <laughs> I would want it to be dopey. He gets two kisses. So... Well... What we're going to do, we're going to go to a few more songs and then we'll be back, so please stick with us. 
and we're back on uh, Home of Black Country Extra. So we we were talking about the effects of brain injury on the person, and as we know, when you're when you're the person in the fight, it's terrible. But when you're on the sidelines and you're that puff one, mainly often talk about this, you know. And uh, I lost my vision when I was three years old, and as a child into a teen into being a man I always focus on how it affected me because mm. I couldn't compete in boxing and how it affected me and I was having to do this it wasn't until I become a daddy myself I stood back and thought how it affected my mum and dad and how it affected my big brother and as I say when you're in the in the fight yourself you are surviving ducking diving swinging whatever you do to survive but once it's over and you look around by the loyal people who actually had your back, who who never sing, dance, moan about it, and you realise how it affects them, did you find out with your loved ones, Rob? Did you find out with your mum and dad? My parents have always been very supporting, and they still do. I do at times find that I get brunt on a conversation because I like to ask her things and all the time whenever I talk to her it's me asking her something or whatever you know? but they've always supported me and been good when I went into the hospital I had a girlfriend she stayed with me through the hospital she stayed with me for at least Five years after I came out of, I've learned the brain that I can't tell you exactly how many years. But by the time we broke up, I wasn't the person she fell in love with. Mm. And there'd been times where she'd said she could see the old me coming out, but it was getting rarer and rarer, so. But like I was saying before, past life, and that's just the cards we've been dealt. Has anyone watched that uh, that program? I think it's on ITV. Kate Gaverskull, the, the the presenter, and her husband had got COVID, and it affected his brain, the brain injury. Mm. Oh, blooming heck, I was sobbing. I was, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a right titty baby, and anyone will tell you that. <laughs> I mean, my cat's was telling me off for crying about stuff. But I watched it, and the, the love, she had, she's a presenter, I, I hope I'm saying her name right, mm. and her husband was a lecturer, and then it affected his brain. And he, he's conscious, but he can't do things for himself, and he, the children are there. And I watched it, and I, was, I, I, I felt the woman's pain, and she's soldiering on. And she said something, she said, um, I'm there, I'm either cleaning him, washing him, feeding him, and, and she, but then glimpses that I see Pete, it makes it worth it. And I thought, mm. that is the most absolute purest form of love that you can have when, because, you know, we fall in love and lust fails and habits and bobs aren't what they used to be. And, but that, that amount of love... It's remarkable, isn't it? Mm. And I bet you see that, Lorne. I bet it's almost... Well, it, it might make me cry. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at someone and think, wow, how, how hard can you love someone? Yeah. Um, I uh, wanted to mention the last song, if I may. Of course. Because uh, it's Rag and Bone Man. Uh, I mentioned to you before, that's really not my type of music at all. But Rag and Bone Man is extremely special to me because he reminds me of my nephew. 
Mm. And my nephew took his own life two years ago. Mm. Um, now you find most people come to work or support Headway because we have a connection with brain injury. Uh, my brother-in-law, i.e. my nephew's father, has a brain injury and he lives in Headway accommodation in Worcestershire. So when this job came up, it was really important to, to me to come and work for the charity and support them because of everything my sister went through and uh, her husband having to go into um, warden controlled accommodation. And though we don't know, well, you know yourself, you don't know why my nephew took his own life. He was very young when Dad was um, in a car accident. So there is some thought that maybe that complex relationship of losing Dad at such an early age, mentally, if not physically, had an impact on him that maybe one day led to, to that loss two years ago. So you're absolutely right. I've, I've lived through my brother-in-law having the injury, everything my sister went through. She stood by him for years and mm. years and years and eventually just had to admit defeat. Mm. And that was so painful to her because she loved her husband, but she couldn't live with him anymore. And then the impact it had on two young children as well, um, which, which is still going on today because obviously... Uh, my niece is still alive and she's affected by everything else that's going on. So, yeah, once you've experienced that, you really want to help support other people um, to cope as best as they can. And, and one of the things I've done since I've been at Headway is brought in extra counselling mm. and, and funded some counselling for other people, um, which has made a, a difference. And, that, and that's, I'm really pleased I've been able to do that for our clients. And I think it's the realisation to the person who's poorly, but it is for the wife, mm. the husband, the parents, the mm. children, and saying, he's still there, but it's different. Yeah. And different isn't always bad. Different is just what it is on the thing, it's different. Mm. And it, could be, it, it must be so hard and difficult for people to be that. And I think what you said, it's like... Um, She's been defeated. And it's not being defeated, but that's how we perceive it, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember my yeah. granddad Bernard um, had Parkinson's when my nanny Joan died. he came come to live with us. And he had um, very bad Parkinson's and it was very difficult. My dad was working, my mum was caring. She got me and Richard, who's 10 years older, cleaning him because he was incontinent. And, and it was breaking them. Mm. So they made the decision to put him in a nursing home where he was having better care. Mm. And it, we all have our different crushes to burn. And what some people can do, others can't. And so whatever, don't allow people to make you feel bad. Mm. And it's like being a, in whatever sense, you know what works for you. And sometimes we, we will almost kill ourselves to do what we think is honourable or correct. Mm. Yeah. But, but sometimes it's like on an aeroplane. Before you help anyone else, you've got to put your mask on. Because yes. if I don't put my mask on, we both get down. Mm -hmm. And we've also got to look after ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when you're a caring soul, like that analogy with the pets from earlier, we will do everything for everyone else. Mm -hmm. But you two are important and your life itself matters. And I think that's what we have to remind ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think with the brain trauma, grief, was it, was it his dad had a, a car accident that led to brain injury yeah he was um 
he used to do a lot of off-roading. He had a, a Land Rover and he was actually working on the engine uh, and the bonnet fell on his head. Uh, but they lived in a quite rem- remote place in Worcestershire and they didn't find him for three hours. Yeah. So he'd been unconscious for three hours. Uh, also, I just want to say what you were saying then about when you're on our planet, you've got to put your mask on first. It made me think of when I did used to work, when I was at Heritage Cruise. First thing we were ever taught during what was called wet training, i.e. getting in the water, getting yourself out, getting other people out, rescuing boats. One of the first things we were taught is the last thing you want is for you to end up in the water when they're panicking. If you have to, and they're rocking your boat because they're panicking, trying to get into it and stuff, just hit them with a paddle because if you go in, you've got two casualties to rescue and just push them away to make them calm down and then rescue them that way. So, like you say, it's, you've got to think about yourself first. And to so many people, it goes against their natural instincts of rescue, rescue, rescue. And we see this in relationships. Mm-hmm. You see people who will get with a man or a woman or whatever, and you want to rescue them. Yeah. They've been they've been traumatised. And before you know it, you're rescuing, you're rescuing, rescuing. And before you know it, you've become the victim yourself. Mm-hmm. And some people out there, even though not people don't necessarily admit it some people like being a victim some people like it when it's well with me because they like to be taken care of mm. that is how they feel we've got natural rescuers and we've got natural victims some people are a victim through circumstance and they can be rebuilt and made better and i'd say i like to believe in people but some people will rescue and rescue and rescue and rescue until there's nothing and they're left broken mm. so we have got to look after ourselves guys and for someone there you know and i run a boxing club and i I've done counselling, I've done NLP, hypnotherapy, done all these things. And so many of us, we, we try something and we go, no, 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 it didn't work. Just because that didn't work doesn't mean none of it's going to work. Mm. Keep trying stuff, be it counselling, hypnotherapy, whatever, whether it's talking to an old pal, whether it's going for a walk, as you're saying, with your pets and nature. And a big saying we've always said on this show since day dot is you've got to find your medicine. Yeah. Find what makes you happy, whether it's listening to music, as me and Rob are doing, whether it's watching Star Trek, ballet, whatever it is that makes you happy. Star Wars. Star Wars. Whatever it is, find it. And if you've got someone who you can rely on, I would always rather have one good friend than a, a hundred plastic ones. If you've got someone who you can rely on, then you rely on them. Mm-hmm. And I hear this so many times and I go, but Kev, I didn't want to bother you. I went, as long as I'm answering the phone, you're not bothering me. Because I would much rather you interrupt my Sunday dinner with the girls than to hear that I've got to go to your funeral. Mm -hmm. So if you've got someone, it's no bother. It's no bother to care to love someone and always be prepared to do for them. Is there anything you want to say, uh, Lorna, on uh, care for families? Uh, What's uh, quite interesting that I've seen since I've been at Headway is as you say 
you don't marry someone to care for them. You might say, in sickness and in health, mm. but you don't really think it's going to happen. Yeah. And I always think of one of the very first women who I met in one of our carers groups who said, I don't know why I ended up coming to a carers group because I don't see myself as a carer. I'm a yeah. And I just happened to have to care for my, for my husband. And that hit home with us and we've been trying to promote carers in a different way because you're still the wife, the husband or whatever. Mm. It's just that relationship that's different. Well, I see a lot with Lee and, you know, it's he's just daddy. Mm. You know, I mean, he's got two able-bodied children and he says, I often feel guilty, Kev, because I have to give little Callum more attention than I give to the other two. And I went, Lee... I lost my eyes at three. My brother was 13. And my Richard, uh, he never begrudged me. I needed more help than he did. Mm. And that's what family does. You don't begrudge someone for needing something more. Because that's what you do. You you pick up the slack. And sometimes if mommy and daddy or mom and dad or any granddad have got to do something, that's just how it is. Because that's how love is, isn't it? Mm. Love is ever forgiving and love is ever giving and receiving. Mm. Sorry, Rob, if you're going to say something. I need a carer so they can care so I don't have to. <laughs> but we all need a helping hand, and that's what life is. And I hate this thing, you know, and you see it all the time on TV. I'm a self-made man. I'm a Everyone needs a hand up. Mm. Everyone needs a break. Everyone needs that twist of fortune to shine in their favour. So be brave enough to not only to ask for the help, but to accept the help when it comes. Can we have a few more songs? Uh, if we have, yeah, a song, please. Cheers. And we're back. So, um, first of all, why these songs, guys? I mean, Eric Clapton, I love that song. You know, we were just talking off air about it. Who picked Eric Clapton? That was you, wasn't it, Rob? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I picked Clapton, and I've just been a... It's another one of us singers I heard in the car a lot and I just always enjoyed the song Layla so just put because it's good hmm? and who was the first song again George Michael George Michael oh. why does any woman choose George Michael <laughs> <laughs> um, same reason why a lot of boys did I imagine <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well from someone who loved one from the very very first um, he was my first love, and I just had to accept the fact that he would never fancy me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, I could have picked a thousand different George's uh, songs. But that, Here's loss. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, that particular one is, uh, was Freedom, and 18 months ago we adopted a Border Collie puppy, yeah. and we've called her Freedom. What, what colour is he? Uh, black, well, which is the three types of black, white and tan, uh, mainly black and white. Yeah. And uh, her name is Frida. So whenever that comes on the, the uh, stereo, we shout. So it's that shouting freedom, we shout Frida. So, Frida, I won't <laughs> let you down. Well, but obviously in tune. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I chose that particular one, because it always reminds me of her. 
I love Border Collies. They're, mm. they're lovely, aren't they? So clever and they've got so much personality. Oh, she's a little cheeky monkey. I took her for a run this morning. When we got back, I went upstairs for a shower. And when I came back, she's fast asleep on, a, on her dad's chair. It's like, you're not allowed on the furniture. Oh, just this once. <laughs> 18 months you've not been on the furniture and I get off. It's like, uh, I keep mentioning my ex, but when we started dating... Their family had a border collie, and he was called Robbie. Now, he'd had that name since long before she met me, but <laughs> he became my friend, so Robbie Dog was my friend for many years. He came to visit me when I was in hospital, but... It's amazing the relationship that we can have with our animals, isn't it? And uh, I know my big brother, he still mourns his, his dogs now, they passed away. And they become part of the family, don't they? But what I found, like, through lockdown, everyone thought, oh, it's a great idea to get one now. Mm. Not realising the world would go back to some kind of normality. And then when they're back, you know, they've got these big, athletic, strong dogs that need to be walked. And then all of a sudden, they're just left in the house or in the flat. Mm. And... A pet isn't an object, it's not like a handbag. You've got to love it, you've got to treat it right or don't have them. Mm. Yeah, actually, I was reading uh, this afternoon that there's a bill just come through Parliament to say that animals must now be recognised as sentient, so they've got feelings, which is really great, Mm. because up until now they've been seen as objects. Uh, But anybody who owns a pet knows that they've got feelings. Mm. And we've got two dogs, um, and they are so different. Mm. One's half border collie, and the other is obviously pure breed. So we thought we understood the breed, but you don't, because they are so very, very different. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, yeah. and the one thing as well is is the impact it has with loss. Mm. You know, when you lose a pet, I can remember when I lost my cat six years ago and I was too embarrassed to tell people how upset I was mm. but I'd had her 19 years I'd grown up with her mm. yeah, so. and loss is loss isn't it mm. and I remember I remember saying that to someone the other day because when it comes to fears like oh, you're safety look at the size of you being frightened of spiders mm. or oh look at you why are you frightened of blood tests and fear hasn't got logical mm. fear is an emotional thing you know some people will conquer empires and other people it doesn't matter if it gives you the heebie-jeebies it frightens you Mm. and it's like with grief if your hamster was your best friend it is the same as losing your partner or Mm. love is love and losing them like there is no correct way to grieve Mm. some people have to go to work some people have to have time off some people cry some people laugh some people drink some people whatever it is it's a very personal thing isn't it Mm. and i think love it's one of those things that can't be explained, can you? I had a lovely saying once, it's, uh, we don't step into love, we fall into love. Because once you're in love, all sense and reasoning goes away. Mm. It is like gravity, you know, it's just you, you fall head over heels into it. And when that's taken away for you, a bit of love of a pet or a loved one, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? And what you said is so right. I, I feel embarrassed. And me, me and Lee, we've done podcasts on this. A man will not cry. My, my wife's run away with... Or my partner's run away with the milkman. Or my child is poorly. I'm not allowed to cry. 
But if the baggies beat the wolves, you'll see 20,000 people in the stadium all crying. Mm. We're allowed to cry because this team has no impact on my life. You know, they don't know me from Adam. They don't care if my mortgage gets taken away. But I'm allowed to cry then. But I'm not allowed to cry when I'm in pain. And how bonkers that is. Mm. Social acceptance of being when and how I'm allowed to feel. It's ridiculous. Sorry, uh, Rob. I mean, I was saying to you earlier, I have not been able to cry for years. And that is true, and I don't like it. I wish I could. There are times when I wanted to cry, and I couldn't. The closest I've ever come. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, bless you. I thought you were going to have a belly fall then. I have that effect on folk. The closest I've ever come was when Robbie Dog actually passed away. Mm. And it wasn't even my dog, and I remembered because back when I was still working, I was at work. Because when I was working, I was working in Southwest Wales. Got a phone call one day telling me that my great granddad had died, mm. and I wanted to be able to cry. And I remember just paddling down the river, feeling bad, but not being able to let anything out. And then Robert Dog passing away and there were tears in my eyes and it just didn't make sense to me. But I think even in crying in itself, and I'm saying that we should be able to cry and yes, we should be able to because it doesn't make, it's not a female male thing, it's a humane thing to show emotions. But some people just aren't cryers. Mm-hmm. But it is being allowed to feel that way. But guys, we, we have, I mean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You know, it's been wonderful. And uh, how, how can people find you? How can they find Headway? You're welcome. <laughs> um, so we are Headway Black Country, remember? Always look out for the BC. Uh, and we're all over social media. Uh, so uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter Perfect. and Facebook. And you obviously we've got our own website. We have an amazing apprentice who does all our social media. She's excellent. Uh, so have a look and find us on social media. Girls, is there anything you'd like to say? I'd just like to say thank you for being here with us today. Well, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, we're one of these. Once the... again, you're welcome. <laughs> Same time next week. And has anyone got any quotes or sayings they'd like to say before we finish? Well, it's like being here with Lee Cadman. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of one. Lovely. It's not the cop.